0: Barnes on this drive that I've seen in years. My name is Matthew Kroll. And the movie is
1: all planned out, but isn't thought out.
0: My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast
1: about movies, specifically the film. I'm thinking of ending things. You should have just opened with that. I'm thinking of ending things. You didn't have to say specifically the film or the only podcast. No, I'm we just thinking of with, ending I'm th- things. I'm thinking of anything. And we'd be like, what? I mean. This is the end of the podcast? That's it. This is it. This, this is, is an- it. This uh, is the end, uh, boom, boom. my only friend, the end. And copyright strike. Uh, <laughs>
0: what is this? Are episodes 250 of them before we started slowly having Jamie go back and redo all of the music? Come on! Has,
1: has that happened yet, by the way? It I'm is not happening. So
0: so it's so <laughs> funny. Uh, let's get into the weeds here for everybody involved. Uh, Jamie, my wonderful um, better half, is... Uh, going I can back. testify to that as well. I can yes, verify. Of course, uh, she's been on the podcast before, Oscar episodes, etc. Um, the um, going back and taking our wonderful theme song uh, that we have at the beginning of this episode and many others, and going back and basically doing all of the, the replacements uh, for all of the copywritten music we've ever done, because eventually we just want to we just want to go legit, everybody. So if you go back and actually, so they're all edited, Shaheer, but they're just okay. it's a slow upload because you have to do only so many at a time to SoundCloud. And it's a long, it's a long and I, hard road. And out like of hell.
1: we've said before, there are so many episodes where we refer to the music because that was yeah. kind of our hitch, right? We would find like, we would find pieces of music that like, you know we're sort of adjacent to what we were talking about or sometimes referred to it in a funny way and then we'd have to have a conversation about that uh-huh. so now you're going to have that conversation without the song
0: so and so she's I doing think... a really great job in fact it's <laughs> funny because she's i've been kind of teaching her how to edit based on this even though it's just audio but the, right. it's she's doing a wonderful job wait a at... minute whoa, whoa
1: whoa whoa back up a second do we have an intern is no. that what you're saying uh, no we are paying, paying intern? we are paying her we are paying her Oh, well, it's a paid intern. No, you're she's teaching an, her she's something. An audio she's getting editor. college credit out oh, of this. All right, <laughs>
0: come on. Listen, you know what? Here, I'm thinking of ending things with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Because uh, it happens to be, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, because uh, that's your- the movie
0: that we're doing this week. You suggested this film. Yes, um, over Mulan. Yeah. Well, we could like. Okay, let's get into emails. Then let's talk a little bit about Mulan, and then we'll, of course, give you the actual time we start talking about the film, and we'll go from there.
1: Okay, uh, and as always, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail dot com and hit us up or on, on Twitter at onlymoviepod, which nobody did this week. So that's that. Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We did get one tweet this week. We were a little quiet on the email front. Uh, thank you, everyone, who does normally email us. Uh, and also, uh, we just did a giveaway with the King of Staten Island. So if you received uh, those uh, King of Staten Island Blu-rays at this point, uh, we'd love to hear that they arrived at you, with you safely. Uh, so please uh, tweet us a photo or send us an email or whatever. Just let us know that you got them uh, so that we can be assured that those are going through. There was a notice
0: on Twitter from one of our winners thanking us, uh,
1: which was very nice. So uh, yeah. very lovely. I'm glad they're starting to get there. Good Good, good, good. Last week on our Bill and Ted episode, I proposed the most fiendish of questions, the most devilish of propositions, the most, I don't know, difficult of questions. I don't know. You said questions. (laughs) Yeah, shut up. The (laughs) question was if you and I, if Matt and Shahira had to go on an excellent adventure or a bogus journey and had to save humanity with the perfect film, with whom would we enlist from the past? (laughs) In order to help us do so. And we had a couple of answers. Mm-hmm. I believe you had Alfred Hitchcock. Yep. Cleopatra. Yep. And who was your third? Did you have a third? I, I can't recall five, who. didn't I? Didn't we do five? No, no, no. I think we only did three. We had five in total. Oh, who man. Who was your third? It's in the it old was...
0: episode notes. Oh, I don't my God. know. I,
1: I know you had Alfred Hitchcock. Go back and listen to the Cleopatra. other episode. Go back and listen to Bill uh, and Ted I, episode. I can't remember who your third person oh, was. Oh, Shakespeare. Mine was... Shakespeare. Well, okay, William Shakespeare, yeah. Oh, hey, and I've got William Greaves, uh, and uh Orson Welles. Yep. Pretty fine ragtag bunch uh, out here making movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob on Twitter replied, "Here is his historical collab dream team. Okay, for the writers, Alexandre Dumas, hmm. or Alexandre Dumas if you watch the Short Shank Redemption. Okay. <laughs> Emily Dickinson, nice. whom I only really know from the uh, the new show on Apple uh, t- Apple TV, mm-hmm. which I really like, by the way." The cinematographer, Salvador Dali. Now this was an unusual one because I wasn't sure if Salvador Dali had been a cinematographer at any point in his life. I know Salvador Dali had contributed to the animation of a Hitchcock film, I think it was spellbound. Mm. So as cinematographer, I'm curious about that. Maybe there is a precedent for that. I don't know much about, I know, yeah, but Salvador Dali and his work in film uh, with Louis Bunuel and, uh, and, yeah, and of course that collaboration with uh, Alfred Hitchcock. But, well, and that's a good pairing with ours, by the okay, way. Okay, yeah. Composer, Bela Bartok, the Hungarian composer, who is also an ethnomusicologist, which oh, I wow. I've read an article of his. Not to be confused to... with Bartok the Leaper. Mm, that's a comic book reference, isn't Don't it? worry about it, keep moving. Okay. And producer, this is one I had to Google. Richard Feynman, who I believe is a American theoretical <laughs> physicist known for his work in the path of inter- integral formulation of quantum <laughs> mechanics and the theory of quantum electrodynamics. Love it. That's just the first line from Wikipedia. I'm really curious about that choice for producer. Jacob Here's your next assignment. Or you know
0: what? <laughs> if people are familiar enough with these, I'll open it up to anybody. What's the yep. name of this movie you're making?
1: <laughs> I will uh, leave you both as the most righteous yin and yang directing you. So we're directing together oh. with this crew. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm really curious what this is going to I think we're making Tenant Part 2 to be honest. I am going that. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> I'm going to be the biggest
0: diva uh you possibly could be on a set. Shahir, you're going to do a lot of work and I'm going to be wearing a lot of sunglasses.
1: Have you seen uh, that meme, uh, that that uh, tick, that viral TikTok video of like um, film crew um, personalities and it's that yes, one woman the who's woman dressed dressed and up. she keeps walking in slow motion yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's like four of them. It's so good. But when she gets to the director one, which is what I do on set, it's like the coolest person on set wearing sunglasses and a little jacket. And I was like. Man, I, when I watched it, the first thing I said was actually my uh, a friend of mine who's a cinematographer, Brandon Ripley, emailed me. He was like, you need to get yourself a better pair of sunglasses. Because I was like, this is not me. I'm like the slouchiest person on set and the most anxious, anxious, huddled up in the corner trying to figure out what the hell it is we're oh, doing. Oh,
0: you just got to, no, 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 Shaheer. <laughs> Listen, everyone's there to serve you when you're directing. All you got to do is just look as freaking cool as you possibly can. And you have to know like three words and you're <laughs> good.
1: I actually watched The Disaster Artist uh, again last week. Oh, fun. Uh, the, yeah, it was, it was interesting to watch. And I was like, man, I, I, I do wish one day I could, like, turn up late to sit and hold up production. I always feel like I'm, you know, like, if I miss up, Once on production, the whole thing rolls over. But as far as I've seen, if you're a director of note, you can really fuck up. Oh, 100%. And people let you get away with it. Yeah, why not? I would love to get to the point where I could fuck up and people let me get away with it. If
0: you're a director of note, you could move a a film's entire uh, ad campaign to send people to places where they could die because your film is that important. So, I feel like you're talking about one Mr. Christopher Nolan here. It's not probably him. I don't know. I was just having a little bit of fun, just like you'd have fun if you went and saw Tennant and didn't die, but there's no guarantee. Um, yeah, weird times. Weird, weird
1: times. So, over on to, are you going to go see Tennant in a the movie theater? No. We've talked about <laughs> this. No. No. Not, um, not, and we... And we Highly uh, recommend to our listeners, uh, unless you're in a country with a low transmission rate, uh, like in New Zealand, for example, um, well, why risk it? Why yeah, risk it? Why? Movies, are, uh, movies are like deeply important to me, but they're not life or death important. If Shaheer's telling you, for you that- For me, they're life or death important. <laughs> yeah. Um, so also, uh, big, big movie news. Sorry, there's so much
0: stuff. I, I, I'm sorry we're going to kind of like talk a little about a shop right now. Uh, before we get to Mulan, Shaheer. Oh, you don't watch trailers. God damn it. The Dune trailer, the Dune trailer. today, yeah.
1: I uh, am. I have been since. I have been since the memes though. I am in love. Uh, really?
0: I uh, I'm a late Duner. Okay. Um, I'm not. I'm a never Duner. Oh, you got a Dune, man. Uh, <laughs> you you, you got to just Dune it. Um, yeah. The it, it's it's like it's like it's ripped out of what I thought was the book, and I'm so pumped for it. Uh, granted, it could all fall apart, of course. Um, okay. But it's just a really solid, like, it feels
1: like Dune, and that's very hard to Dune. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. think Denis Villeneuve has actually ever let us down. Even if I've not liked some of his films, he's never let me down. Never let me
0: down either. I, we, yeah. Listen, he he cat sits sometimes. Uh, he's watered he my plants. Uh, he <laughs> never lets me down. He's always there for me, and he, and he directs some of the most beautiful
1: films ever. So, um, yeah. anyway, very psyched about that. But Mulan... Now, um, you, yeah, you're going to have to fill me in on this because I, I like, so when, when you asked what movie we should do this week, I noted that I, that uh, from what I had seen on the internet, the, the, the impetus to see Mulan was somewhat divided for a couple of reasons. Yep. One being the price point and the release point, which is that you had to have a Disney Plus subscription... Which you were already paying what nine ninety five a month, nine ninety nine a month, or something like that. That is correct. Uh, I get a free on my Verizon account right now. Same. Um, but you also had to pay thirty dollars on top of that subscription for access to the movie. Correct. Premier access correct. to the movie. And uh, while I thought that was okay, apparently that wasn't. People weren't into that well, as much. Well, so there's an interesting part.
0: I'm in theory. I am okay with them doing that. We've talked about this before, right? Because if you're a family of four going to the movie theater or something like that, it's going to cost you way more than thirty dollars anyway. So, like,
1: I get it, family but film. But you're paying for the subscription already, sure, even, and but you but have let, to have you, a subscription. Let's to make get it forty it. bucks. It's still going to be more than forty bucks to take four people to the movies. But it's not forty bucks because the thing is, is that you have to pay for a month-to-month subscription, which you presumably have to have for a year, or I don't know if they do it month-to-month. Um, so you're already paying for a year's worth of Disney Plus. Sure, or you get it for free through Verizon, and you're going to pay
0: thirty dollars anyway. What I'm saying yep. is, there are situations where this could work out in a family's favor financially. Right.
1: Um, didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't have too much of a problem. I would fi- I'd be fine shelling out uh, thirty bucks to see Mulan. I'm I'm not to be fair. I'm not super you know like excited about this. You know we've talked a little bit about yeah. the live action remakes of of um, Disney uh, animated films and how for me none of them have really ma- been super exciting or worth the price admission
0: and to be honest like again there are certain situations where i would 100 percent plop down 30 dollars on top of a, of, a, of a thing like if honestly straight up if black widow did this i'd be like all right i wouldn't like it yeah. but i'd do it Injected um it into my veins baby yeah um but the but the there's a couple other things, too. One, it's getting very middling reviews, which is not surprising. Um, again, mm-hmm. I'd still like to see it
1: before I judge it for myself. Um, of course. And I want I to want shout out as well, directed by New Zealand and Nikki Caro, who I love as a filmmaker. So, um, you know, I, I should be supporting that. Yeah. Um,
0: and then, uh, then of course, there is the, um, the, the China connection uh, about thanking certain parts of the Chinese government that are also basically in charge of the uh, internment camps or, or however you or the the, the re education facilities that is happening uh, in China currently, um, yeah. and, which is a whole different can of worms that we will never be able to get into with any meaningful
1: depth on this podcast. But that does make me want to pay for it less. Um, well, and there's an interesting article about the increasing amount of uh, Hollywood self censorship in order to appease Chinese audiences or the Chinese government in this case. Um, I think the the notion being there is that Hollywood recognizes that uh, China is uh, integral to a film success and uh, therefore will not uh, do anything that would offend the Chinese um, or criticize the Chinese government uh, in their film so yeah. um, you know what's interesting though you know yeah, it's so funny ahead.
0: because they're like oh well it's it's like you said everyone everyone's saying this it's crucial for a film success China's crucial for the financial success of a film oh no. yeah but only in the sense of like, oh, it's not cool if we make a ton of money. We have to make all the money. Like, that's and again, that's corporation, late stage capitalism. That's not just the film industry. That's fucking everywhere. But like, when people talk like that, it is very and I'm not saying you, I'm saying the articles that are saying this. It's just like, ugh. like, no, you don't need China to have a successful film if if it but it just depends on what your definition of successful film is, right? Like and it's the size of your company,
1: it's the it's the amount of hands that have to be washed in order to do it. Like, I don't know. Well it's the economics of running a studio are very different to what you and I think it is, and it has very little to do with the quality of a movie. So for example, Batman v Superman is Ergo a terrible, terrible, terrible fucking movie. Right? But it made bank it made, I think, near a billion dollars. Yep. So and that movie pays for a lot of other movies to be made. It also sustains the financial health of a studio. Sure. So, But that's it, not a success. I mean, I guess it is, depending if you want to... That is. Yeah. And, so, and so depending on what your metric is, that's success. And I think if you said, well, we made, uh, I'm thinking of ending things, which 60 million people saw and, you know, like got a lot of reviews, but, you know, made no money, that's a different metric of success than a studio might be interested in. And sure, I have a really on interesting the, story on the that side I want of to that, tell in a minute okay. about about this metric.
0: In 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 on the side of that, it's also very true. Like yes, a hundred percent. Some of this money definitely goes toward other projects that like need it to be done and sort of like big pictures funding smaller pictures, etc. But if you look at the pay rate of the top people in charge of film studios on in general, game studios, etc. The the Absolutely astronomical fucking salaries that these people get is where a lot of that money goes as well. So there is, and again, I've talked about this before um, uh, wealth at a certain level becomes a mental illness. <laughs> like, there is a thing there. Like, well, and, yeah, and, but,
1: yeah it, but like, a that's, is that's a different, different conversation. Inter- a studio is an entirely different inti- entity to an individual. But there and- are people at the top of a studio, or, or like or, or as a
0: company, a board of directors, etc. And again, it's late stage capitalism. It's not the movie industry's fault. It's the way the entirety of our world works. <laughs> um, you know. So yeah. again, I don't want to blame. Play- I'm not saying like movie studios bad. I'm saying <laughs> involved in an intricate system that actually probably is detrimental to the entire process
1: eventually. But whatever. Sorry, you had a story, art baby. Yeah, (laughs) and well, the story I wanted to tell um, about this, and I've, I've, uh, I was on the Uber Busters podcast, which I know you've been on as well. We've never been on together. No, and we never will. (laughs) <laughs> they know better than that yeah. to bring us on, but check out the Uberbusters podcast. They're doing uh, Kurosawa and Mifune yes. oh, it's so good. Uh, this year, uh, which is fantastic and um, makes me want to watch a lot more Kurosawa films. Truth. And Mifune films. Um, but uh, I was on there talking about Synecdoche in New York, uh, Charlie Kaufman's uh, second to previous film, so mm-hmm. Anomalisa was the last one as well. And I, to- I told this story on there, and I'll tell it on here, um, which is that... Um, and you know who this person is, but I'm not going to say who this person is. But I was uh, contacted by uh, an actor of note. You would recognize the name in the face um, uh, if if we said the name, but I'm not going to say the name. Uh, who liked some of my work and wanted to reach out to have a ch- to have a conversation with me. Um, and we did. And it was like the first time that's ever happened to me before where, uh, someone famous kind of just directly reached out to me to talk to me. Um, and I, I wasn't really prepared for the meeting to, to say the least. I didn't really know what was going to happen. Right. Um, but the first thing this person said is like, what are you working on next? And, you know, like, tell me about the movies that you're interested in making. And, um, and I started, uh, I, again, I wasn't really prepared for the meeting. So I didn't re- you know, I, I have films that I'm working on and I started I guess, without really having actually prepared, started pitching a movie that I am very passionate about and been working on for a little while. And uh, my pitch of the movie was that it was a cross between Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Her, uh, um, both uh, a movie written by Charlie Kaufman and another one directed by Spike Jones, who kind of all kind of exist in that same universe. <laughs> right. And, um, I said that because I think those movies are brilliant and wonderful and, uh, will without a doubt stand the test of time and are meaningful in many ways. And this, and this, and this, you know, to be fair, this person seems to seek out work like that and, you know, kind of does sort of interesting projects as well. Uh Uh-huh. Um. But in that meeting, that person said to me as I was, as we were leaving, by the way, and this was like this piece of advice that has just stayed with me ever since, (laughs) which was, by the way, if you're going to pitch me to movies that are a combination of two movies, why don't you say some that have actually made money? And I was like mortified by that because I was like, oh my God, did I do the wrong thing there? And it got me thinking about, you know, this thing we were just talking about, which is the... uh, uh the the measure of success of a movie. And Charlie Kaufman is someone who I you know for a period of time in his career was the penultimate screenwriter. And in oops, not penultimate, the ultimate screenwriter. Whoa. He was the he was the you know when you thought about screenwriting, you thought about Charlie Kaufman for a little while. If you're thinking about that period of, you know, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind adaptation. Being uh, John Malkovich. You know, being John Malkovich, yeah, you know it was like Everyone was asking, "Can you make this film more Kaufman-esque?" Or well, Kaufman-esque became kind of a, um, you know, uh, an adjective to describe a certain kind of film. And 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 I would have thought that that meant that he was, in a way, unimpeachable in terms of his the quality of his work. To bring him up meant that you had a certain um, appreciation of quality or or, or anything. A cachet. Out, a cachet. Turns out not the case. And but with this individual. And, S-
0: side note, it's yeah. it's. I have so many jokes and one-liners that like hint at the at the at the at who this individual is. That I am biting my tongue, listeners. I just want you to know, I respect my <laughs> co too much. I'm not going to say them, but I have them, and they are so good. It's some of my best work that I'll <laughs> never be able to release.
1: Well, I can't. I I don't want to say out of respect for this person. I on, and, I, I agree. I'm just and, saying. And, and to be fair, this person was delightful and very kind, and gave me uh, was very generous with their time with me. And 100%, to be so, uh, a hundred percent. But I'm saying I got <laughs> so
0: many references in my brain. <laughs> anyway, sorry.
1: <laughs> um, and you know, like hopefully we can actually get a project together at some point. But that'd be um, great. yeah, that'd be great. But I, I, it, it was just this notion that um, Kaufman whose movies again i, I as uh, not involved in the financial money making decisions that go into making movies am so enamored by his work that i would think that we were unimpeachable was surprised to to realize and you know it's not it's not a it's not a, a slight on the system it's just understanding that the system revolves around money and charlie kaufman's movies don't make money and synecdoche in new york didn't make money *Anomalisa*, a movie we both really like yep. uh, and talked about on this podcast did not make money and you know again i was on the Uber Buses podcast to talk about synecdoche in new york and that movie is extraordinary in my opinion it's like it's a movie for the ages um but the thing that's interesting is hearing charlie kaufman talk about his work uh since then and i think he's you know, like, uh, the, the conversations are that he basically wanted to give up directing after Anomalisa kind of pretty much flopped. Yeah. Um, and the thing there is you can sort of understand is that Anomalisa is a movie that's not going to make a lot of money. It's not, like... You could, there's nobody I nobody never in,
0: expect it to.
1: Yeah. There's nobody who's doing Anomalisa thinking they're going to become a millionaire out of it or, you know, make a ton of money out of it. They're doing it because... It's Charlie Kaufman. And it's fucking and it's cool. An inter- like, it's, it's a really cool project, you know? And it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, this is the reason I want to make movies is movies that can be discovered and, you know, will stand the test of time and, and will, oh, by the way, check out the test of Time podcast um, <laughs> and the Discovery podcast. Look at all the podcasts is. we're pitching. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, I think the idea that this movie had dropped on Netflix um is it's it's not playing by that same metric anymore it's not playing by how much box office receipts it's going to get it's playing by can we have a conversation about this movie mm-hmm. and i think for me you know the conversation we had about mulan just uh, just a few minutes ago was really about the the box office metrics of that movie or right? the like politics
0: behind that film
1: the politics of the movie but whether we're actually talking about the movie i don't
0: really know about apparently she's a that. jedi now i, I don't uh, know i don't know but, hey uh hot take star wars is just okay um, <laughs> and,
1: sorry. So, so that's that's really why I wanted to do. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things because I think for us, what we do is we talk about the movies, and we and we we're not really talking about the business of movies. We're talking about the movies themselves times, and whether yeah. they're worth well, engaging in. And well, I think well, Charlie up, Kaufman is someone who's done that. Yeah.
0: Oftentimes, the more of a film that we discuss, how the film was made, either the politics behind it or the financials, or even the technical, depending. That often means that if the narrative is skewed in that direction, most likely, and this isn't every case, that the film itself and the story it's trying to tell was not the most engaging thing. Now, of course, when though all of those things are wonderful and that you get that moment like a Fury Road moment, right, like then it's different. But on right. average, that I don't think that's what happens. This film, right. um, I got lots to say about this film.
1: So tell us what I'm Thinking of Ending Things is about. Uh,
0: IMDB says that full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. And herself. What Mm. a lovely, non-misleading, wrong but importantly so description of this film it's actually a great primer even though it's it, it's misleading well, in it all the right way what, what,
1: what's the wrong part just so i know
0: because that's not what this film is about <laughs> right but that, <laughs> that is I mean, what I mean, happens at a point in this film
1: yeah that's a, and that's a synopsis i know, you know i like, like it i'm saying is.
0: i like it i'm just okay. saying it's 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 the good kind of like
1: okay you know misleading or whatever we've passed the first hurdle then with you have we passed the second hurdle What's that which is what did you think of the movie
0: uh fuck man i i dug this shit out of this movie (laughs) i watched it late uh uh monday night and you know you never know i I looked Mm -hmm. at the runtime and it was like i started at 11 o'clock and i was like fuck i was just like okay nope this is what i have to do it we we have people that count on us we are podcast parents and we know you all need to know exactly what we thought of this film in a timely manner and um we tend to record these on wednesdays as it is today so that's the timeline that we're working with um and i gotta tell you i blinked and this thing was done like right uh, uh, wow Uh, And for a a film that has five locations at most, Mm -hmm. um, that is an impressive feat. I was getting all of the vibes from lowercase mother exclamation point that I absolutely loved. (laughs) I was getting all of the John Malkovich and just like, it was such a lovely head trip where, Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't wait to sort of get into this sort of side of the details of it, but like, I thought I had it figured out for what I thought was going on in this movie, which again shot beautifully M- minimalist sort of cuts I guess like not not like craziness is going on um, until it does I'm sorry it's it's a very surreal film and but then like at the end, I was like, oh, okay but as we'll get into. How I thought the film was setting up as to what I thought was it was trying to say, I think I was wrong, but I like what the film did so much to convince me of my first argument of what I thought the film was, that I'm sticking with it. Okay. Is, does that make sense? Like, I, I I do believe that the meaning behind what is going on and what I gathered from it, from the filmmaker's perspective, is incorrect. But- Kaufman also has gone on record saying a bunch of times that he likes keeping things open-ended so people can always have their own interpretations. So, I think I'm still doing it right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's where I'm at. I can't wait to sort of get
1: into more spoilery stuff. But before we do that, Shahir, what about you, my friend? Um, I You know, what's funny is I had the exact same story as you, which is that uh, I worked all day. Um and you know I knew I was going to watch this at some point in the night but then I had meetings that ran into like you know ten or ten o'clock ten thirty yep. I didn't roll into this thing until uh, eleven thirty at night and like you I clicked the button and I saw the runtime and I was like ah oh, god what have I done <laughs> um not not because i you know like look a uh, two hour Charlie Coffin film I'm there I'm so there I just know I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning as sure, well sure 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 and um and I uh, you know I'm just a a tired old man now but. Like you, I think the first few minutes into this movie are just so hard to, to not get enraptured in. Mm-hmm. You're just so invested in both the interior di- monologue of this one character, uh, you know, the young woman who has no name. Um, she kind of does. She, uh, she, she has multiple names throughout the film. Lucy is the major mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. the then one that used the most. Then and Yvonne, Louise then, and uh, yeah. Amy. Aims? at some point, yep, um, and the basically, the writing of the interior monologue is so is that sort of wonderful observational quality that is like entirely monotone and really almost is saying nothing but feels like it's saying the most profound things on the planet. and yeah. it's so it's so well put together. And like, you realize that at first, I thought this movie was going to be. Um, my dinner with Andre I really did I, yeah. I thought it was basically a conversation piece between these two characters across a long drive that ebbs and flows and it really does for that first sure uh, it was probably 20 minutes there's a real ebb and flow of like um, the sense of unease that you know she, that uh, Jake J.C. Plyman's character can hear her interior monologue which is that she's being pleasant but she's also thinking of ending things and she keeps getting interrupted with this thought of I'm thinking of ending things um, and and kind of thinks that well you know he's really nice, but is this really worth uh, the time and effort that this is going to be? Is this transient in nature? Yeah. Um, but then they do arrive at the <laughs> yeah. house, and they do see the life that G- uh, that um, Jake, played by J.C. Plemons, has. And then the, they do meet uh, uh, J.C. Plemons' parents, played by David Thewlis and, uh, and Tony Collette. And it takes on this sort of, again, far more surreal vibe at this point, and suddenly we get into that sort of Charlie Kaufman world where time folds in on itself, flips forward, goes backwards and forwards without really much, without without any indication of when we've done that or why we've done that.
0: You know, kind of like real life right now. Uh, have we, have I changed
1: wardrobes uh, since we've been talking? I'm just saying or...
0: time with the pandemic has just folded oh, oh. in on itself for my, I, I have such a hard time figuring out, like, has it been a month or nine?
1: <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, it has got the um, the pandemic vibes going yeah. for it. Um, and then it, the film kind of becomes this bigger exploration of both identity and existence. Yes. Which is to say everything Charlie Kaufman is always dealing with in all of his films. And there was, as I was watching it, and as I was trying to discern what the meaning of things were, I realized at some point... While there is an intellectual exercise to be done in terms of like discerning who is who and what is what and what has happened, at the same time, uh, I went back and afterwards and I read some you know reviews uh, some reviews which mentioned the, dis- the the distinction between the book same. Uh, by Ian Reed uh, and the film to kind of help you guide it. And I have to admit, while many of those explanations of what happens in the book kind of help you find your footing, in what was happening in the film, they also felt cheap to me. Yes! As, as in, I just preferred being lost in this movie. And I preferred not knowing exactly what was going on, but just enjoying the sort of absurdity, the comedy, the surrealness, the, the oddity of the whole thing, and not really fully understanding what was happening, but kind of enjoying the, the contemplation of it all.
0: There's there's a, a a quote actually that from the film that I did uh, I was going to use at my beginning thing but it was a little long but I think it encompasses sort of how I think we both experienced this film. Uh, the quote from the movie is: "Other animals live in the present; humans cannot, so they invented hope." And for for this for this film, I was just in the present, like right. I, I felt like it was totally animalistic, and I won't even use my patented term lizard brain because i don't think that's what it was i just wasn't i was always interested in what what the meaning was but everything that was presented to me in the moment overwrote that and i was just there
1: and yeah. that's a tough thing to pull off i and i i, I do want to say i think that happens because kaufman is so it, i mean he's been in a weird way um, one of the people that we mentioned on this podcast already was Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Nolan is uh, a time bender, a person who plays with reality as we understand it, and yep. kind of bounces around. But he does so while holding the audience's hand, and you know, giving you, uh, giving you grounding to know that you're not uh, completely. Um, a wash in whatever movie he's making. You, there is a there is an order to the chaos that we're seeing on yep, screen. Yep. And I think the th- the difference here is that you know some of the criticism that's that's uh, held against uh, Christopher Nolan is that his films are cold, entirely cold, or or um, emotionally devoid. You know, like he he doesn't really understand how human emotions work. <laughs> he understands how structure works. Yes. Um. By the way, I like Christopher Nolan movies uh, a lot. Hey, just, I, I, I don't really passion. I don't love emotion. <laughs> it's fine, but. But Kaufman is, is in many of his films, is doing the same kind of bending of reality and does it without much of a way of exposition to kind of help you ground, and to ground you in that. But what he is good at is human observation. And I think what makes this film so interesting yeah. is that he lets the camera linger on the awkward moments of silence between characters um even as though even as as we the audience are kind of watching it trying to figure out what is happening so we really do get a sense of like that's I think for me the, the the sort of conjuring of feeling that's really important here is the sense of unease between these two characters. Yes. You know, like you're just like, does she really hear does is he hearing what she's saying? Like, how does she he feel about her? He's at hearing this the
0: narration every once in a while, which is interesting. Where he's like, Did you hear what'd you say? And she's like, huh? Like it, it's yeah. a, that's like the first moment in the beginning. Actually, at this point, I, I know there are a few listeners, because I've talked to some of you, that act of this podcast that just listen to these without seeing the movies because it's a fun conversation and you like us. And thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say to everyone, if you are listening to this at this point, stop listening, go watch this movie because I feel like going in cold at is the best possible thing you could do here. Like we're going to start getting into sort of like what we thought, what we saw, different things that I guess are spoilers for the, the things we are shown in the film that could be read a bunch of different ways, but I don't want to poison the way that you're th- gonna think about this thing mm. by how I thought about this thing. I would love it if they if afterward you came back right now, welcome. Yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the film. Uh <laughs> and then we could sort of compare notes. Right. Um this, okay. Uh the way that this movie intercuts a few different, I guess, depending on your read, characters, uh, be that of, quotes, air quotes, Lucy, be that Jake, be that the janitor, right? Mm. Um, It's all happening in this sort of, at the same time, at least for the viewer, we cut back to this random janitor every once in a while, and right. we see them observing things in a high school, da-da-da-da-da. And then in the car when we're back with the couple sort of going toward uh, the parents' house, there's just these amazing moments that blend all of it together. Like the janitor is watching the musical Oklahoma being played by some high schoolers, right? right. And then it cuts back seamlessly to the car, and then the the Oklahoma performance is on the radio in the car. right? And, like, there's just... I know that seems like a small moment, but this entire movie is just connective tissue underneath everything else that you do. Like, I'm going to... If I had time, Shahir, I would have watched this again. And I do not... Yeah,
1: that's... I, we're at a severe disadvantage by not having
0: seen it twice. Yes. Um... Uh-huh. And 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 not and it's funny because some films I'm like, I should watch this again to really figure it out. Sure, that falls into this. But this is one of those things where I'm like, I'm excited to watch it again to figure it out. Like, yeah. normally after we're done with this podcast, I will move on with my sadly way too busy life. I'm going to find time to watch this movie again because I want to. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's, it's a really powerful thing uh, for me anyway. Films don't normally do that at this quick succession, you know?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a really engaging, beautiful film to watch. I think the thing is, as well, is that he's really good at those um, s- semantic connections, you know, like or or even um, uh, uh, semiotic con- connections between yep. things. So you know, like he'll he'll plant a little idea at the beginning, and then you know, like the Oklahoma dance, which suddenly by the end of the film takes on several different meanings. Yep. Um, he'll introduce in the middle of this film uh, the janitor watching a movie. Uh, which is directed by Robert Zemeckis, Robert by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we will see those that the characters from that movie populate the main char- the main film at some point as well. The movie within the movie. For me, the janitor was in a was an automatic, interesting, semiotic moment because at the very, I, I don't know if you caught this. But the very first time we see the janitor, he's looking down at the couple as they're about to get into the car. And then in one of the frames that we cut back to the janitor, it's clearly J.C. Playman's from the back. Did you see that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and so yeah, automatically, I the entire film, I was just making the connection between Jesse Plemons and the and the janitor the entire way through. And I was like, well, is this the feud, Is this where Jesse Plemons ends up in the film, or is this, um, you know, like, uh, so, is this Jesse Plemons' dad? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of just making that, you know, he's just giving you that that enough of that inciting moment to kind of keep making that connection throughout the film. He's really good at just setting up little clues. And again it's not like in The Matrix where you see the cat twice and someone says, whoa, that's deja vu. Or, um, you know, like... uh, Or when you see the cat twice and then you say, whoa, that's deja vu. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly, whoa, that's deja vu. No, you can't do it three (laughs) times. You ruined it. Or did you
0: because, whoa, that's deja vu. Of course.
1: Uh, And, you know, in Inception, for example, you'd get that moment where someone's saying, uh, you know, I I think they do the deja vu thing in Inception as well. I can't recall. Um, But, but here he's not explaining this to you he's just you actually have that moment of deja vu which is that you're trying to figure out you're like did I just see that what was mm-hmm. that that I just saw am I remembering this for the first time and like during the middle of this like um, uh, J C Buckley's character changes her wa- wardrobe and I didn't know like <laughs> yeah. I had just suddenly gone along with it and without really thinking about it then suddenly she changed back and I was like wait a minute, we were just watching a whole bunch of scenes there where she was wearing an entirely different outfit. And now I was like, what does that outfit mean? And where do I see that outfit again? So I was just kind of doing that synaptic connection the entire way through the film. But the thing that I walked away from more, and I guess this comes down to your personal... Uh, interpretation of how a movie works or whatever. And I'm, I, I'm interested in Charlie Kaufman as an artist. And I think I'm interested in the ideas that he has about humanity because he you know, is clearly observational. But there are repeated themes through all of his films yep. that you know, come back here. And the one repeated theme that comes back here is this idea that our spirits are entirely interchangeable, like we can be and inhabit other people. So uh, what's, imp- uh, you know, like you see that in being John, you know, literally in yeah, yeah, John yeah, Malkovich yeah, yeah. where, you know, somebody else inhabits another person. Um, you see that in adaptation. There's this fictional version of a character that's created. And, um, you know, Synecdoche New York has that where actors start playing versions of people and then repeating those, you know, and then other actors are playing versions of those people and it becomes this entire myriad. In Anomalisa, we don't really know who is who in that film either. In this um, movie, Lucy suddenly becomes Pauline Kale. Yeah, yeah. Pauline Kael starts redoing a review of um, uh, the uh, the Cassavetes film, uh, A Woman Under the Influence. Yes, and, and I was like, that's just it's just this idea that we can, <laughs> it, basically. I think I th- what's interesting here though is that is that so he's got this idea that people can be interchangeable, right? Like so, you can actually jump and inhabit another person entirely. I right. think that's that's th- through all his films. But the thing that I think is interesting is that when that happens in all of his films. The people who are being inhabited are entirely aware that it's happening. So it's like this idea... For me, anyway, the thing that's interesting is this idea that that we are interchangeable and transient, but aware of our existence. And, and I, I don't know what that means exactly. Did you find that
0: in this film, though?
1: Because I found that the
0: transience was a bit not realized for the most
1: part. Well, I found... Uh, Jesse Buckley's character was seemingly aware that this was happening, like that that people were changing from pe- from person to person, and she was like starting to try and figure that out. Um, okay, you know, like, and 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 I think you know as we get later on the film, we start to we start to sort of piece together what that might mean. But it, but but more importantly, I I you know ultimately I don't really I don't really care what the answer is. I really enjoy the feeling of that transience, and. The the thing that really unlocked it for me, um, it, oddly, is a monologue that's written in uh, adaptation. The um, the Spike Jones Charlie Kaufman film where um, you know uh, he plays the he, uh, Charlie Kaufman is you know uh, Nicholas Clage plays Charlie Kaufman and his twin brother right. I think it's Donald Kaufman or something like that, um, and they're writing a screenplay adapting uh, a book and the book is the adaptation of the movie that they're currently writing. So you know wormholes within wormholes, mirrors, self reflecting right. mirrors. In that film um, there is this entirely made up twin brother to Kaufman. And Cough Kauf, this twin brother is kind of the idiot version of Kaufman who's pitching a, who goes along to pitch this movie. I don't remember if you've seen like you've seen adaptation or you I actually seen, like, have not. Okay, okay. It's 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 not one of my favorite um, Charlie Kaufman movies, it's not one of my favorite Spike Jones movies, but it's certainly, you know, really fascinating. It's got some really great moments in it. Uh, a lot of people love that movie. But there's a moment where the dumb version of Charlie Kaufman, the the twin brother, the made-up twin brother, um, uh, pitches a movie where he says, okay, it's a movie about a serial killer. Uh, and the serial killer is uh, taunting a police officer uh, by giving him the identity of his next victim, and the police officer falls in love with the with the this next victim because you know she's unattainable. But the hook is they're all the same person, and you know the serial killer is the cop, and the cop is the victim, and the victim is the serial killer. And the and the Charlie Coffin character, you know, kind of immediately derides this as like idiocy upon you know like the dumbest right, right, the right. dumbest idea ever. Um, But then lo and behold, the film gets pitched and loved and everyone wants to write it. And it's kind of this amazing thing. Um, But but I think that that sort of dumb idea that he's written in that film, which is like you can be all people at the same time or your identity, you know, essentially, I I think where this comes from is the idea of the author as the creator of the world and the author of the as the creator of the world creates every character and every character is therefore a reflection of the author right and and that's what i think is happening in this film that i find really kind of delightful is that every ultimately this film is like a version of what the dumb charlie kaufman was pitching (laughs) in that movie which is that they're all the same people but different reflections of the author themselves
0: so i know that that is the um well the, the the way that I read this after the couple of reviews I did and the interviews with Kaufman and a couple other things and the way that the book is sort of done, uh, which I know he veered away from near the end, mm-hmm. is that the whole thing is really Jake's perspective, who is also the janitor
1: <laughs>
0: and and sort of, you know, going with it sort of that way. I actually and this is why I sort of said before I really wanted to stick with sort of my reading of it. Yeah. Um. And I'd love to watch it again and see if it actually sticks enough. Because something I really liked about this movie. So okay, I'm gonna back up a little bit. Okay. Back uh, up. Um. When I when you told me the title of this film, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of ending things. And then I had to start it at eleven o'clock, <laughs> knowing nothing about it. I was like, motherfucker, this is <laughs> going to be depressing again. as hell. Like I thought. <laughs> I thought from the title, I'm thinking of ending things was sadly this is where my head's at these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah I course, thought it was yeah. going to be about suicide.
1: I, um, I'm right there with you. I, yeah. thought it was the, I, I thought it was the same thing.
0: And then the second that, that it starts and she gets in the car and it's a road trip to a, 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 a person you're in a relationship's first time to meet the parents and all that stuff. And she keeps repeating, I'm thinking of ending things. I was like, oh, because I was instantly in that thing. But this is before I even knew it was going to be a surreal cluster, wonderful clusterfuck. Right. I thought. I was like, this is something I can relate to instantly. I have been in this woman's shoes. Like right. it is I've been in that car. I've been in the thing where you think, like, oh, is this gonna we're we're done soon. Like, I mean, I'm gonna do this because I'm curious, right? Like, why not? Right. Um and and the awkward dinner, like everything felt so just I was I was sutured in. I I've, I've been there and you know whatever. And then Every time I thought I got comfortable with what with where I was in this movie, it never, like, pulled the rug out from under me. It's more like it opened another window and was like, look over here. And I was like, what? Whoa! And I started getting the read that what we were experiencing as an audience... Was not one person's recollection, or different things, or like I know that there's a whole subgenre of Jake being like obsessed with media and film, and so like a lot of the stuff, like the Pauline Kale thing that that yeah. uh, she reads. Then, and he also does the speech from A Beautiful Mind Beautiful at the mind. end. Yeah, like yeah. there's like he, it's almost like a uh, a criticism of a, of a man raised on movies, right? Which is
1: fine. Yeah. Which is us. <laughs> Which is us.
0: But yeah. um, the read I got and that I really liked because it went back to that initial feeling of like. Remembering that car ride with a with a new relationship and not being sure where it's going and thinking like this might be it right right I really liked the idea that this was a film from two people's perspectives that we were seeing mixed memories of that they couldn't mm. quite remember purely because when I look back to those moments fucking five ten years ago or whatever i like i I remember it, but like. I know I've put my own embellishments on it. I'm like, and then I'm like, oh, well, like, how old were the parents? Were they like were they in their like 40s or like yeah. or, or like fifties, sixties? No. Well, the mom was kind of the mom had a thing. Like, so like I was getting that and they change from scene to scene. Well, like, in the they scene change. they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like when that's happening, I'm like, and then like she looks at a picture and for one scene it's her as a little kid and one scene it's him as a little kid, and you're like yeah. on the wall of this family house, and I was like, this is the way that our minds remember moments that like aren't the kind of moments that are like the ones that are burned into your psyche that like built you as like, like an element of who you are this is the yeah. way we remember things as like momentary dalliances or things that we were interested in at the time and might be fun to revisit but we just can't fully yeah. and the entire time throughout the film and it does eventually start spinning away from this a little bit though i do have a couple connections i think at the end that could still make this true for me like it just felt so much like two people remembering a thing completely differently that they couldn't actually place because it wasn't like the most important ending bit of their quote unquote story and right. to me that was such a lovely lens to look through this because again if you if you go by the book right and you go by like the kind of sort of idea that like it's kind of all about Jake and like it's almost like there's that um the idea that Lucy air quotes Mm-hmm. Isn't like real, but she's yeah. she's real enough to him, and then she almost takes on like a tulpa like form to have her own agency. Yeah, like whereas <laughs> I I still don't like that because at the end of the day, if you do want to logic yourself down, Jake is still the progenitor. Yeah, and well, the, the
1: projectionist.
0: Well, yeah, both right, <laughs> yeah. I, and, and and I really even if this tulpa had a at its own agency or whatever jake still created it so like wait now you're
1: going to have to uh, uh, the word tulpa
0: oh so sorry so a tulpa is um oh, i'm going to butcher this i'm so sorry a tulpa is basically um it's when a uh, a belief becomes real so for instance like if like there's certain lines of thought for instance like ghosts right? right you if 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 enough people say that house is haunted then this collective psychic energy is enough to sort of, like, will a ghost into existence. Tulpas work, like, all sorts of ways. It's not just, like, a a, a, a spirit or something, but, like, it could be, like, it's basically, like, collective thought bringing an entity to life. Like, okay. uh, a, a lot manifestation. of... Manifestation. Yeah, yeah, a mythological right. creatures that then are, like, we will into existence, right? It's right. It, Fascinating, weird stuff you can learn about tulpas. Uh, and a lot of different cultures sort of treat that in a different way. But yeah. I don't want – I I know that that might be the case a little bit for this film, but, like, personally, I don't want that. Like, I just yeah. loved the way that, like, these – I want, quote, air quotes, uh, uh, Lucy, to be a real person. Like, I want them both to be remembering these things because it just felt so much like a washed-away memory you feel like you should know. Yeah. And – even down to like, and I love, I, and I do like the idea that Jake and the janitor are the same, just at different ages. Again, you you brought it up before, like that cut in the beginning where you're like, "Oh, I kind of get it," and then you don't, yeah. and then you kind of do. Yeah, I just really liked that because it made me feel, for lack of a better term, close to the emotional resonance that I was feeling to this film. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I what was. I, 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 I sort of rambled for a bit, and I'm sorry about that. But like, what was your what was your take or your belief before you started reading things about this after you saw it? Was it similar? Was it different?
1: Um, yeah, no, I I I guess I did believe I, I kind of walked away thinking that uh, the young woman was real and that the janitor was real, and I wasn't. I I guess I was I was unsure of uh, how their interactions were playing out. So the final shot of the Car covered in snow, presumably the Schrodinger's cat of a uh, of a uh, of a human being inside of it. We're not too sure if they're there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I kind of believe could either be both. You know, could could be one of either people, and. Um, and I and I agree with you when, when you read that, you know, like from the book's perspective, the book's point of view, which is the Charlie Kaufman adaptation uh, version, which is that the janitor is imagining this relationship with this person that he um, didn't have the courage to meet, but ended up meeting, uh, you know, ends up meeting in through, through his manifestation. Yeah. Um, and all of this is basically, he's, he's just imagining this entire scenario and it's not real while he's contemplating suicide. That is deeply unsatisfying because... Uh, the young woman, Jesse Buckley's character, is so emotionally rich that you—the idea that she is a manifestation of this janitor with whom we don't have any connection to—feels cheap. Yeah, and 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 I think th- there's two schools of thought in my brain about this, which is that one is, um, uh, yes, it does you know sort of question the agency of this of this female character and this male centric point you know point of view, but on the second thing. It's it's the the point of view is so rich that even his manifestations point to his own insecurities. You know, right. like it's not a it's not a power like when he imagines this young woman, it's not a power fantasy. It's it's a it's an entirely um, it's a manifestation of his own insecurities and the life that he wishes he had. Yeah, to the point where he's not even sure that in this fantasy or this this imaginers imagination world that he's created that that she even likes him. You know like like you know even though he's creating this he's conjuring this whole thing together. Yeah. He's not even sure if she likes him. You know, in this world that he's created. Um so I kind of love that that the movie is so emotionally rich that the explanations about what's happening aren't as satisfying as the way you feel watching it. And that that's why like th- the reason being John Malkovich is so good isn't just because the conceit is so clever is because he drills down into the insecurities and the richness of characters that make you want to go on the journey that they go on. Yeah. And it's the same reason why *Anomalisa* is so good. And it's the reason why when I pitched those movies that I pitched those movies. you know, like I, I, it's not because I want to sort of, um, um, Copy the conceits of those movies is because when I watch those movies, I'm so filled with in awe of how good a writer this person is to understand humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sort of a shame that that is not the measure of success of a movie. But that's, that's that is true. not it's one not, measure of success
0: yeah. for a for a movie. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And so his, you know, like again, *Synecdoche, New York* is a film that's like baffling in its complexity it's it's layer upon layer of complexity that mirrors in on itself over time to the point where the character who we think is actually telling the story by the end is this character we might have seen in one scene um you know And it's like what yeah but 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 the feeling i get from watching that movie is such a profound sadness about life that it doesn't, you know, like, trying to do the, you know, trying to do the sort of uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, and you know, the like, meme, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, where you're trying to, like, put the pieces together is really unsatisfying. And it's really not the point. Right. You know, like, it, it, to to do that really undermines what this film does, which is that it, it, take, it puts you in that car. And... You are on for the journey of what is happening between these two people, regardless of who these two people are. Yeah. And I think that's what's so wonderful about it. Look,
0: I, it, and it's funny because you just need to look no further than my bullet points of my notes to just sort yeah. of see all of the different places this thing goes. So I go, like, I'm just going to read you some things. Mm-hmm. And it, and we'll see if, you know, if you have watched this, maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. So I have just shorthand normally. But right now I feel like it actually makes a lot of sense. I have transition to dinner. Holy hell. Christina's world. Oh, I've been to the Wyeth house. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Jimmy in the urn slash Jimmy's collar, the dog, constantly yeah. shaking. Shaking, yeah. Uh, I have written Tulsi Town is a fucked up place. Mm-hmm. And then I have three rapid fire notes here. I say, mm-hmm. hell yeah, animated maggot pig, hell yeah. yeah, shitty old age makeup, and hell yeah, musical number. And I'm yeah. like, and just reading those sounds like a fever dream, but. It's all, like,
1: it's all so perfect in this. It's it's weird because I think, you know, like, we forget how hard... Okay, it is hard to make movies. And then to eh, make movies you know. that tap into the psyche in this way. And, you, you know, you kind of remember that movies aren't about logic games. They aren't about narrative closures. They aren't about fulfilling, uh, you know, a commodified desire in the audience. You know, like, it isn't just, you know, like, movies are also about exploring the unknown. Yeah, they don't have to be any of those things, yeah. Yeah, they don't have to be any of those things. They can just be these... and, and, And automatically to do that, you have to be a great artist because to do that and make it resonant is incredibly, you know, without losing your audience, is incredibly challenging. And Kaufman does. You know, like, he those moments are beautiful because they feel authentic as well. You know, like he really is tapping into the, you know, the, that that sense of unease that you have when you're around people, you know, like the dinner table scenes where, you know, um, Tony Collette, which by the way, I was like, man, is this the outtakes from hereditary at this point? Like I, I know. Was just, I was just, you know, it was in the back of my head. But the, the dinner table scenes where we're seeing her flip from, uh, sort of feigned delight to disappointment in two, you know, in like in one frame. And and you're just like, oh, but, but I, in any other movie, in any other, you know, sort of sitting that might be, you know, like what the hell is going on here? But in this one, I was just like, oh my god yeah you know like the 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 mask is off the mask is back on the mask is on again you know like it's just that sort of wonderful flips that this film is doing um that are so beautiful and you know like then we go into full-on sort of um surrealism with the beautiful mind speech um towards the end which i was like where have i heard this speech before you know and and then the makeup kind of looks and then i there you can look on uh someone has on youtube put both those speeches side by side and the shots are almost the same that's great and so He's poking fun at like, you know, like there. I think he's poking fun at the way movies try to have these moments. Yeah, you well, know, like, like like the Robert Zemeckis movie.
0: Oh, well, that's the thing. Like, there's there's a thing I kind of was thinking about too. Is like this could be seen as a condemnation of kind of how the media, how media, how film, yeah. books, the television, etc., uh, is kind of like a virus that infects us and defines the standards by which we live. Right, uh,
1: they 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 talk about that they in the do. film. As they well. do, yeah. They talk about the the beauty effect or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right? So like, yeah.
0: there's there's that angle of it too. It's which especially if we're going towards like this is all in Jake's head and he's based himself around movies. So like, this is an <laughs> amalgamation of like a real person he once didn't know, and then also all of these other things and a Pauline <laughs> Kael movie review and like you know all of this shit and all of the different faces he's seen of his parents and all of the different things. But again, I I I don't like that as the full on read because the the Lucy's Lucy's sort of agency and performance goes beyond, I even think, Tulpa magic because the way it is portrayed seems like just as real of a person as Jake is.
1: Yeah, she's no manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. Uh, and and I think the the other thing is as well is that, again, every... There isn't a sense that we don't know what the artist is doing in this creation, right? Like, like you know what I mean? Like, like we do sit up in the car that they're having a conversation, and I can't remember the art, uh, the the book that they're referring to, or the essays that they're referring to. Uh, I think it's a David Foster Wallace book, or I don't maybe remember. Something else as well. There's a lot of
0: references. Uh, yeah, in this. a
1: lot of references. Look, I want to talk about that in a second as well. But like you know, they t- they they tee up in there this idea that there is um the the movie beauty version of the world that we see in which allows us to accept the horrors that we live among or something along those yeah. lines. And then at the end of the movie, it's basically a setup and a kickoff to that idea, which is that suddenly the characters are replaced by these beautiful dancer versions of themselves. You know? yeah, and they yep. they they're wearing the same outfits, but they're these these sort of more perfect versions. And and then we you know, it, it is doing exactly what he's talking about, which is that it allows us to accept the horrors of what we're seeing because we have been lulled into the the sense of, of, of acceptance because of the beautification of the characters. Um, the one thing I wanted to talk about and I was thinking about was that, you know, the moment that really delighted me was when uh, Jesse Buckley's character starts doing the review of a woman under the influence as Pauline Kael. Uh-huh. And, the reason why that makes sense is that we saw in the in Jake's bedroom uh, a book of Pauline Kale's reviews. Yep. Um. And and I was thinking about you know the sort of common criticism that I'd had in um, Marvel movies, for example, of How uh, knowing you. the reference. You know, like understanding the context for which something happens if it happened outside of this film. Right. And and in this movie, for example, I, I know and have read Pauline kale so I understood, you know, I was like uh, Captain America there. I was like, I got that reference. Yeah. But I haven't seen Oklahoma, and I don't really have a, re- a relationship to Oklahoma. So... My understanding of what was happening at the end was really basically me trying to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously I could imagine that, the, that the, the film experience there would be even richer had I had a really sort of, you know, like a, a direct relationship to Oklahoma mm-hmm. and I really understood what those pieces of music were. But I didn't, I, but I, uh, at the same time, I don't know many people who would watch that and go, hey, that's the speech from Beautiful Mind you know what i mean and then see that it's a play on right. on reality and so i was just thinking a little bit about how this film kind of does that sort of contextual work you know like you have you 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 need to know well it's buckshot actually, no, so, it's buckshot yeah, I,
0: because they do so many references from different walks of life you're going to get a few and you're going to kind of get it in there even if you don't get them all you're going to understand that there are a ton of references
1: but I think what's important is you don't need to know the reference to be emotionally connected. Right. But I'm saying in order for that to
0: work, you kind of do have to get at least one reference. You don't you have, have to get, to get them all. Refer- but yeah. that's going to be your, I guess for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. reference point to the fact that there are references. Mm-hmm. And then you'll th- be able to read references that you don't even know the understanding yeah. of said reference.
1: I, I think what you need to do is you need to get over the hump or you get through the idea that there are reference points in this movie and that things relate to another. Yeah. Um. But you don't need to know what those references are in order to emotionally engage with what's happening. I think this and... might be our
0: most esoteric review we've ever done. <laughs> uh, Maybe.
1: But, but, I, but I... It's fun. The thing is, it's, it's coming from a place of I genuinely loved yeah. opening the box on this movie. And I... And, and more than that, I don't it doesn't matter to me if your read is different to mine. It doesn't matter to me if, if the audience's read is different to to what I feel. And it doesn't matter to me if I'm reading this entirely the wrong way. Yeah. what matters is that I was connected to it. yeah, and I felt I felt like I was taken on a journey that I wanted to be taken on and 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 I think you know that's what's important. That, that, to me, is more, you know, like, again, I'm not in charge of a major studio. I'm not, you know, like, uh, the, the the bookkeeper for, for um, uh, Netflix or anything like that. What Yet. I care about is whether a movie matters to me, yeah. and this movie matters to me. Yeah. And that's why I think it's beautiful.
0: I am I am 100% there with you. Uh, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to even find something else to say, because I'm just sort of right on the same page. This might be the most we've agreed on something in a very long
1: time. Yeah. Um, Something as abstract as this as well. Like, only a film I think, like this would split us right down the line. But
0: I think that speaks to the the craft of what we are seeing. This thing is made with such loving detail to let you, the viewer, come up with your own read that is actually emotionally relevant and resonant to you. How, even the fucking title. Okay, mm. this kind of blew my mind a little bit. And, and, and so if you look at how the title is spelt out, I'm thinking of ending things. What I should have paid attention to... Was where the italicized <laughs> word was because of, "of" is italicized in this title. I'm thinking of ending things, and it kind of made me got to think of like, oh, these are going to be characters thinking about endings. I kind of got that sort of at the yeah. end of this because I didn't pay attention enough before it. Like, and that's the that's what I'm saying. What I appreciate about this and why I don't think it matters that anyone could have a different read than the other person is that I think this can connect with people on a level, on on, on far more levels than traditional film can. And again, this isn't to say that like every movie done in a style such as this can do this. I think this is just a fucking mastercraft. Like this is just Kaufman is 100% running on. Fucking a million Kaufman cylinders, mm-hmm. and uh, it's an absolute uh, wonder to behold. So, if you, I, I again, I hope you listened. I hope you didn't just listen to this and not see the film, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I want you to have the experience that that apparently Shahir and I both had, even though we had. Com- fairly different but also the same experiences it's very strange are shahir and i the same person are you imagining all of this right now and you never actually bought an ipod back in 1994 when they didn't exist already
1: and also is every podcast uh, just being you and me or just being me talking in a different voice against me fuck <laughs> This has been the only podcast
0: about the film I'm thinking of ending things. Was that Deja Vu?
1: Shaheer, when you're (laughs) asking if that was not Deja Vu, where can folks find you? You can see me uh, saving the cat twice on my website at www.shaheerdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are not a mirror reflection of me, uh, but a more... Uh, a reflection of my own insecurities. Where can people find you? You can find me right
0: nestled comfortably on your tulpa mm. mantelpiece over at m a t t h e w k r o l dot for my life and works. Also, Skeletor the number four p r e z on uh, on Instagram and PSN, and of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Uh, also, please email us in OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com uh, and Twitter OnlyMoviePod. What did you think of this film? Please let us know. I want your reads. I want your hot reads in my eyeballs right now because I, I just need to absolutely know what other people thought was going on, how they felt about this film, etc.
1: And also, uh, we didn't mention at the top, but we are still committed to this at this point. Uh, please go to vote.gov to register to vote at this point. Yes. If you can, send us an email that uh, says that, you vote, that you've that you registered to vote uh, in some way because we encourage you to do so. We'll be happy to re- do a five-minute review of uh, any film of your choice or any media of your choice, I guess, as long as it doesn't involve me playing a 30-hour video game, maybe. Um, no, sure do, that, do, one. That. do, yeah, that, do one. that one. Do that one. Do that one. But Make no, him I, do Last of we Us We are too. really um, committed to getting every and he's many people who listen to this podcast to register to vote for this uh, election if, if you live in the United States uh, this is the first election that I will be voting for uh, in the United States oh yeah uh, so it means a lot to me uh, and it would mean a lot to me and and Matt uh, if we can encourage people to get out and vote uh, I mean at some point I'm sure we'll have a conversation about which way we're voting it's probably pretty obvious to anyone who listens to the I'm podcast. keeping it very close to the chest Yeah, I mean, it could go either way. You know, there's fine people on both sides. That is
0: true, and listen, uh, I I was about to make like a a reference, but then I was like, there's like five this week that three of them are impeachable. I don't fucking know. Um, Also, oh, I forgot to mention this. Uh, Please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits as well. Uh, We just released an episode, by the time you're hearing this, on Bartolome de las Casas for Extra History, who, uh, Shahir, he was the first uh, human rights activist Oh, um, wow. Back in the day, he was someone who was in, knee deep in the Spanish uh, encomienda system, which was yep. basically like when you took over stuff, you got plots of land and all the people on it that you could then exploit for whatever. And then one day, after a bunch of Bible study and sort of some deep thought, he's like, "Fuck, this is fucked up," and like basically <laughs> spent the rest of his sixty years alive like fighting to end that sort of stuff. Uh, it's also- amazing
1: that we at so- at one point were totally cool with people being unequal until we realized it could be applied to us. That's right? like, literally, literally how, totally how cool fucking like, terrible yeah. humans are. Um, but no,
0: it's very interesting because you know a lot of times you hear about political, not even political figures, historical figures, um, yeah. and they're sort of like one note or whatever. And Because it, it seems like, to be very honest, one of the most difficult things a human being can do is change their mind. And um, this person did. So it's a fascinating story. Please go check that out. Um, and yeah, um, next week... Who knows? There'll be a film. (laughs) I I love this part at the end of the thing where we're like, ooh, will they know this time? No, we won't. Because time is an illusion, and I am Shaheer. Shaheer is you, and you are me. (laughs) But also, we're all each other's tulpas, and we're remembering that time we drove through a snowstorm when we were dating.
1: Remember the year 2020 when we
0: lost nine months of our lives. It's going to be more than that. (laughs) P.S. Go die for tenant. Okay. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't go die, die for it. Don't die for
1: dinner. For the love of God Don't die for dinner. We'll
0: talk to you next week Bye everybody Bye